morning. I am a little bit because I'm a preacher and I can't help myself. But I, I, and I don't want to take too much time, but I want to kind of ask the question, you know, what is the takeaway? It's kind of the last question that I ask these folks. And, and, and whether you were able to be with us yesterday or not, you've, probably every person in this room has served on some level in some way in your school, uh, in your community, you know, through, a, through an organization, you know, the United Way or something like that, or, or through a, a previous 2028 or if you served yesterday. Um, you know, what's the takeaway? I, I think the temptation that we need to be careful of, the takeaway is to kind of say, Aren't we, aren't we proud of our church? Isn't this a great thing to do? You know, you, you wear that shirt around and people are like, oh yeah, I remember that deal when, when your church got out and served. And isn't that just so cool and so awesome? And, and while I agree, I, I think it was a wonderful day. I think that uh, the temptation to spiritual pride, the temptation to kind of turn it inward and say, boy, aren't we, aren't we wonderful is, uh, is a very real temptation. What do we learn from, from serving? Uh, hopefully it's not to pat ourselves on the back and to congratulate ourselves. But I, I think that serving um, gives me, I think it gives you, it gives us the opportunity to examine our hearts through the lens of the serving heart of Jesus. And so what I want to do for just a few moments this morning is <clears throat> I'm not going to read all of the, the, the passage of Mark uh, 4 and 5, but I'm going to very quickly walk through four encounters that Jesus had uh, with people of no particular importance and how he interacted with them. Because I think when we look at that, it kind of puts in perspective, not only yesterday in the serving opportunity we had yesterday, but it puts uh, our daily lives in perspective. If we're a disciple of Christ, if we're a follower of Jesus, how does this play itself out every day? We're not going to do a car wash every day in front of North Cargill Middle School. Uh, we're not going to, to go and renovate an apartment down at Lydia House you know, every day of the week. But there is an impact that ought to be a daily impact in our lives. And I really think it's, it's being able to look at my heart, my, my willingness to serve through the, through the lens of the serving heart of Jesus. Theologians will tell you that Mark chapter 4 and 5 is really about the lordship of Jesus. Uh, and it's seen in four different ways. And, and in each of the passages we're going to look at, it's demonstrated. The first passage we're going to look at is where Jesus calms the storm. And theologians say that proves and shows Jesus' lordship over the cosmos, over the created order. Uh, the second story, which is a very long story, we're just going to look at a little snippet of it, is when Jesus heals a man who's possessed by a demon. And it shows Jesus' lordship over the spirit world. The third part of the uh, encounters of Jesus we're going to see in this period of about chapters 4 and 5 are probably about a 48-hour period in the life of Jesus, maybe 72 hours. The third is where Jesus heals a woman who has been sick for 12 years. She's gone to every doctor imaginable, and she's spent all of her money and still is not healed. And she just is kind of a nameless face in a crowd. And, and Jesus healing her demonstrates his lordship over uh, our physical well-being, over, over illness and health. And the fourth encounter Jesus has is with a father and a mother and a dying daughter. Uh, and actually, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene at, at their home, uh, to which he's been called, the daughter has already died. And Jesus brings her back to life, and it demonstrates his lordship over life and death. Now, that's the technical side of Mark 4 and 5. But I think there's a human side. I think there's a, a personal side, I would even say a divine side of Mark 4 and 5 that show us not just the lordship of Christ, but shows us the caring heart of Jesus, the heart that I want in my life, the heart that I, I would hope 
would be manifest because I know him, whether it's on a day like 2028 or whether uh, it's just a, a normal day during the week. So I'm going to run through these passages real quickly. And again, just kind of hit them as we go. I'm not going to read all of them. But at the beginning of, or at the very end of Mark chapter 4, verse 37, there's a big storm uh, arises as Jesus and his 12 disciples are going across the Lake of Galilee. And Jesus is asleep in the back and they wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're, we're about to drown? Um, I'm just going to stop there for a second. You ever ask that question? Jesus, do you care? God, if you're there, do you, do you know what's going on in my life? Do you, do you understand the crisis which I'm facing? I talked to a friend on the phone yesterday for an over an hour, um, and, uh, and, and one of the things he said was, I'm really wrestling with where is God right now in my life? Uh, I, I don't feel him. I know he's there. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I'm losing my faith, but boy, I don't know where he is right now. And, and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, why are you sleeping? <laughs> well, we're about to drown. And I would venture to say that people that served yesterday and the people that were served yesterday have asked that question. God, where are you? Jesus wakes up. He stands up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And he says, peace, be still. Uh, that's, uh, uh, preachers always talk about it in the Greek, but in the Greek, that's a very emphatic command. It's like a parent telling a child, you sit down and you stay there, right? And so Jesus is rebuking the wind and the waves, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus is concerned about the faith of his 12 disciples, 12 disciples who are uneducated men for the most part, 12 disciples who are kind of uh, blue-collar kind of guys, and then I'm going to grow up to be the mayor of the town or the governor of the, of the state. They're, they, they don't come from a lot of wealth. Uh, they, they're not uh, kind of names that you would know in the community. They're just kind of average, everyday guys, and yet Jesus cares about the faith that is in their heart or the lack thereof. Well, they go across the lake, and in chapter 5, verse 1, the second encounter begins to happen, and, and I'm not going to go into great detail on this. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. My wife gives me a hard time because I used to, to teach this passage all the time when I was in youth ministry. But Jesus gets out of the boat, and they're in the, the country of the garrisons. And when he gets out, immediately there's a man in the tombs who comes out to meet him, and he has an unclean spirit. He has a demon in him. And he lived among the tombs. Mark goes on to explain the following about him. It says this, that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now I'm going to stop there because uh, I'm going to skip down to what happens in just a minute. Think about this condition of this guy. Think about this man. He lives in a graveyard. He lives in a graveyard and he's so, t so tormented he can't stop screaming. He can't stop crying out, and he literally is so filled with self-loathing and self-hatred that he picks up rocks off the ground, and he does physical harm to himself. In our day and age, there are a lot of uh, teenage students who, who are wrestling with this whole uh, practice of cutting, uh, marking yourself, because you, you're so filled with anxiety about who you are or who you aren't. And it, that, that sin, that, that struggle, that 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 frustration, that, that spiritual and emotional angst didn't start in our day and age. It's been going on for years and years and years. And, and yet when this guy comes to meet Jesus, the, the intervening verses, which I'm not going to read, talk about how Jesus drives out the demons and he heals the man. 
And he actually sends the demons into a herd of pigs which run into the lake and decide that they can swim. And, and, and as the pigs are drowning, it says those who are watching the flock, they fled. They ran away. They went back into their city and the countryside and they told everybody what happened. And the people came out to see what had happened and they find this man healed. They find this man sitting there dressed in his right mind. Jesus is concerned about the spiritual torment of a madman. It's interesting that, that Sue mentioned earlier that, that it hadn't dawned on her until Reed prayed that prayer yesterday to pray for the abusers. You know, we get filled with all kinds of, uh, of a sense of justice when we hear about someone being abused, but the caring heart of Jesus goes so far beyond my caring heart. He actually cares for the one who is the culprit, the guilty one. Here's a man who, by his own practice and by, by his own lack of faith, has found himself in this terrible predicament, and yet Jesus has a heart for this man. In chapter 5, verse 22, uh, we begin to see uh, actually the fourth encounter. So I'm going to read this, and we're going to come back to it. It says, There came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he falls at his feet and begs him earnestly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive. Here's a desperate, desperate father. He, he has no solution for his child's predicament. She is about to die. And so he comes because he knows that Jesus has the reputation of being the healer. And he, and he hopes beyond hope that perhaps his daughter may be one of those people that Jesus touches and heals. Now, put them on the shelf for just a second. Uh, We'll come back to Jairus and his daughter. But Jesus begins to walk towards Jairus' house, and there's a huge crowd of people around him. And on his way to to see this little girl, uh, this happens. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So here's, here's a woman who's at the end of her rope. Here's a woman who, who is desperate. Uh, she, has, she has looked for solution after solution after solution, only to encounter disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And she's literally now broke. She has, she has nothing left. And she heard the report about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd, touching his garment. For she said, he says, she thought to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. We go on to see that Jesus actually does uh, allow her to be healed. And so uh, he's in the crowd of people and, and uh, he says, somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, really? Somebody touched you? There's like a thousand people around you and you want to know who bumped into you? Uh, and yet Jesus says, I know that someone touched me in faith. And so they find her and they bring her forward and she's scared to death. And, and she says, I, I touched you because I wanted to be healed. And Jesus says, her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus is concerned about a woman who has nowhere else to turn. She isn't coming to God in a joyful heart. She isn't coming to God because she's so compelled by, by the preaching ministry of Jesus. She comes because she has no place else to go. Have you ever spent time talking with somebody who just kind of constantly uh, rejects uh, your message and then at some point it dawns on them, they come back to you and you're like, well, I don't know if I have time for you now. <laughs> and Jesus says, I'm here for the person that finally figures out they got nowhere else to go. Now, coming back to Jairus for just a minute, Jesus arrives at the house, and this is the fourth and the last encounter we'll look at. While he was still speaking, there came from the house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Think about getting that news. 
I can't imagine getting, getting that, that phone call, <laughs> getting that information. You know what? It, it's of no use any longer. Your child's dead. I could lose everything in my life, but don't take away my kids. Think about how Jairus must have felt at that particular moment when now everything is lost. It's all gone. There's no more hope. And Jesus overheard what they were saying, and he said to them, don't fear, just believe. You ever, you ever been to a, to a, um, a wake or, or a visitation, and you just don't know what to say? <laughs> If you've been on the receiving end of that, I can tell you, you know, when my dad passed away, you, people were, were, were so gracious and so kind, but you could tell they just, you know, gosh, I hope I say the right thing. Um, can, can you imagine Jesus saying to somebody, this doesn't seem like the right thing. You know, this doesn't seem like the appropriate thing to say when you just learned you've lost a child. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe what you believed at the beginning, Jairus. Don't forget what brought you to me in the first place. And so... Uh, they go on to the house, and in the last few verses, we read, and when he entered, he said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? Everybody's, everybody's crying. He says, the child isn't dead, only asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them inside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Tatathia kume, which means little girl, I say to you, Arise. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus is concerned about a father and a mother who have just lost a a little girl. And he's also obviously concerned about this little girl. I understand, and the theologians are exactly correct. This passage identifies the lordship of Jesus, and we ought not miss that. We need to see the power of God, no question. But I think we need to look beyond that for our own purposes, for our own uh, kind of daily uh, decisions on how we're going to live our lives, and we need to see the serving heart of Jesus. We need to see his compassion as it's reflected in his interaction with people of no particular importance. Um, if we, uh, J.D., just go to that, that uh, last slide that we have. We have 12 disciples. We've already said, you know, they're, they're of no big consequence yet. They will be eventually. They'll, they'll be the, the original men who, who take the gospel to the world. But in, in that particular day, they didn't even have enough faith to believe that Jesus was going to take care of them in the midst of a, of a storm. A spiritually deranged lunatic, a woman grasping at straws, and a mother and a father and a little girl. The serving heart of Jesus is reflected in this passage, that he cared for them, not because of what they could do for him, not because of the, of, of the, of the, the, the fame uh, and the renown which he would achieve by them sharing these stories. In fact, after he raises the little girl, he tells the parents, don't talk about this. Now, I'm just going to be on my way, just, you know, just kind of let it alone. Jesus isn't in it for the pat on the back. Jesus isn't in it for uh, the acclaim that he receives. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all glory is due his name. But I think that part of why we get this glimpse into kind of a day in the life of Jesus or a couple of days in the life of Jesus is because we need to reflect on our own hearts. We need to be reminded of the passion that Jesus has to take the message of faith into the world 
uh, I, I, I had a great time yesterday, and I just traveled around and visited a bunch of different work sites, and I, and I got to see a lot of different uh, people working very hard. Uh, and people were working really hard yesterday, and, and I was really proud yesterday. I got to tell you, I was really thankful to be a pastor in a church where 300-plus people will come out and say, yeah, we'll give a whole day to serve other folks. I, it's really cool. But my question still remains for myself uh, and for all of us is, where does that go? What's the takeaway? When I go to the office tomorrow, when you go back to work, uh, when you're still enjoying students, enjoying your summer vacation and not having to go to school right now, and maybe you're at the pool or maybe you're, you know, maybe you're playing baseball or, or uh, doing something else that's fun, how does the serving heart of Jesus continue on? How does, how does this passion for people of no particular importance, how does it work its way in my, out in my life tomorrow and the next day and the next day, there'll be more opportunities to serve. Uh, I know that we're talking with Terry Bales, and there'll be more opportunities to probably go out to the Bales home and do uh, just some more of the kind of general yard work and, and that sort of thing. We're trying to organize at least one or two more trips to Joplin uh, this, um, um, this coming summer as the months go on. You got a little prayer card in your, in your bulletin this morning for the high school students that are getting ready to go to Guatemala. We'll actually pray for them in the service uh, next Sunday, but you can take this home and start praying for that trip this week. There are lots of opportunities opportunities for organized serving. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm asking myself and what I want to ask you this morning is how is the serving heart of Jesus working its way into my life so that whether I'm at a car wash, whether I'm at a 2028 service day, or whether I'm just talking to my neighbor or my buddy at work, that passion, that care for people's spiritual wholeness steers my conversation, steers my priorities, steers my choices every day. Let's pray.